Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dragon's Library. Um, I'm horrible at scheduling things, and Luca wasn't that interesting. So we're doing something else this week. Uh, so I originally planned on reviewing Luca, since I'm still not done with Subnautica, because I've had, like, no time to do anything I want to do this week. Um, and so while I was working today, I had Luca on in the background. I'm like, eh, it's just not that great. I didn't really like it that much. I finished it. I just, meh. It just wasn't that fun. Like, it, it was okay. It's, you know, better than most anime movies, but, like, Pixar, you've done better than this. I expect I expect a higher caliber movie from you, Pixar. Um, so, I went ahead and watched Godzilla Singular Point on Netflix instead while I was working on some stuff in Unreal Engine. And, yeah, I actually really liked this, and I think it deserves to be talked about. So, you know what? Screw it. It's my show, Godzilla Time. <laughs> Alright, so I've already talked about how much I love the Godzilla movies in my previous reviews for uh, the Godzilla King of Monsters and Godzilla vs. Kong. So I will spare you my love of the movies. Um, I've watched some of the old Godzilla movies. I've watched maybe like around like 15 or somewhere around like 15 of them. Uh, not all of them by a long shot, but a decent chunk of them. You know, I know the main points, some of his major villains, you know, that kind of stuff. Mecha Godzilla, Space Godzilla. Uh, but... This movie is just, you know, the movie's show is just so, it's basically Steinsgate meets Godzilla. And I say that in the best way possible. Uh, for those of you who watch, haven't watched Steinsgate, get on that. It's an amazing show. Um, anyway, Steinsgate is about like time travel and inevitably, you know, trying to repeat the past and inevitably everything working out the same, which is a bit different because this isn't really time travel in the same sense as Steinsgate was, but, uh, talks about time and a human relationship to it in a lot of the same, like, metaphysical ways, that makes sense. Uh, and it draws upon some scientific concepts, like the idea of string theory and higher higher spatial dimensions, and the idea of time as a fourth temporal dimension to our reality and stuff like that. Uh, I didn't really understand much more of that with the law of the science, because, like, I'm not sure if they've made up some of it for the movie, I mean, up for the show, or if it's based on some more other concepts that I'm just not aware of. I barely understand the string theory thing, which is the idea that in order for physics to understand as we believe they work, we need, like, ten more spatial dimensions on top of our, our dimension or something like that, or we need ten spatial dimensions instead of three. So we need, like, seven dimensions, or three we interact with and the seven we can't interact with. Again, I'm not an expert. Uh, if I'm wrong on that, physicists, please do not hurt me. Uh, so, <laughs> but the idea is they're basically just higher spatial dimensions. Um, and it's an interesting idea, and they go through a lot of different things with this, and the entire series... Uh, okay, we'll get there, we'll get there. So, Godzilla's Singer Point uh, follows basically these two kids, Mei and Yoon, um, and one of them is sort of like a mechanic. Uh, it's inside the year 2030, and there's Yoon starts out, this is the first one we interact with, and he's basically this mechanic who um, works at this, like, robotics factory. They're finally, like, humans have finally gotten around to starting to develop giant giant robots to do manual labor and fighting for us. So, you know, we're finally there. Uh, I guess they solved the energy problem because their batteries are really, really fucking good. So, you know, good for them, good for us, we've solved the energy problem. So now it's time to make giant robots and more advanced stuff. It's a lot like the present day, except we just have slightly more advanced technology. Like, the way you would look at, you know, 2000, way 2000 would look at, like, right now, if that makes sense. You know, we solved a few major problems, and now we're moving forward with technology. 
but we still have a general, it's still very similar to the world you know today. Um, and so, it starts going into, basically there's this strange signal and electrical problems happening in this house that was by this eccentric, like, rich scientist from 60 years ago. Um, and they figure out there's this message that's broadcasting, and it's this big string of codes and numbers and hidden messages, and you're like, oh, because they're going to unravel so they're going to series. Okay. And meanwhile, there's this student, there's this, I think she's an intern, uh, May. She's like a, she's work, either working on a PhD or something like that. I don't, I don't remember the exact context. Um, and so basically she's like a science, science assistant, you know, an intern looking for positions, that kind of thing. And she, you know, works part time at this little station, gets called in to read over these results. Um, and, Basically, she ends up getting caught up in this, the creation of these things called archetypes, which are basically, uh, fourth dimensional objects that exist in the three dimensional world and have unique properties like being able to bend time along the axis of time itself. Like, imagine if time wasn't, imagine if light wasn't just bent, moved along a physical, but if we could like loop it backwards in time to like, cause a cascade and eventually erupt into an explosion like that. Uh, there are some really weird demonstrations. It makes sense in the context from what I can understand, but like re-explaining it is not something I am equipped to do. So watch the series. It's actually really fun. Uh, they do a lot of interesting things. I'm not sure if the science is real or if, you know, they just make it seem real enough. I didn't understand most of it, so I'm not even going to pretend to. The only thing I understood was the idea of, like, time looping around, but I still don't understand where the excess energy that caused the explosion comes from. Um, I, I only got so far as, oh, so it can loop around in a circle by being refracted to these, these, uh, this material. But I don't understand how it caused an explosion, that one thing, and I don't think we're supposed to understand how it caused an explosion there. But they figure it out, so that's good for them. <laughs> Um, and I bet you're wondering, wait, I thought this was a Godzilla movie. It's like, oh, right, okay, so, shortly after all this weird stuff ha starts happening, uh, monsters start appearing coated in, like, a red dust. At first, it's, like, one big giant pterodactyl, which is, like, the Rodan. It's, it's basically just Rodan. It's a little miniature Rodan. A lot of the monsters in this series are actually a lot smaller than their Japanese counterparts in the movies, uh, which is kind of interesting. And, you know, it does, just kind of flaps around, lands near some people, they attack it because, you know, it's a giant bird and it caused a water tower to fall over, but it's not really being hostile. Uh, next, a bunch of Rodons, smaller, more agile ones come, and now they're trailing this red dust everywhere because there's just so many of them. So, you know, they're, you, they deal with them, they eventually die, believed to be a lack of the material in the oxygen. Then some other monsters start appearing, you know, some sea serpents, a uh, big old uh, spiky koala monster. Uh, God, what was his name? Um, he's based off a, He's based off a Godzilla monster. Uh, come on, come on. One second, let me look it up. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, I swear. Uh, do, 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 do. Davish wasting time. Angiris. Angiris. Uh, he's basically like an, um, ankylosaur. You know, armored dinosaur kind of thing. But its spikes can, but it can like predict the future and its spikes can vibrate to deflect bullets. It's all really cool. I, I really like some of the concepts they play around with. The idea of did it see its own death coming and did it do it because it couldn't stop itself or did it know its death was coming and still fight anyway, like an instinctive response. 
And I'm like, oh, it's some really interesting questions about the nature of time. If we could actually calculate out what was going to happen in the future, what did our decisions mean anything? And how do our decisions, now that we know the future, affect the future? Was it always going to happen that way? Or does the future account for the fact that we've seen the future? You know? Uh, there's a very interesting time travel style questions that occur, despite there not actually being that much time travel itself going on in the show. Um, and basically what happens is, um, these monsters keep, you know, evolving and changing. At first, they're almost curious. They even m- mentioned that the Anglosaur didn't even realize that guns were dangerous until, you know, bang, loud sound, somebody pointed this thing at it, and now it's hurt. And they started by just deflecting, and it wasn't really attacking people. It was just kind of roaming about. It was, there weren't really any deaths resulting from it. Uh, and the sea serpents were just kind of living their lives. Boats just got in the way sometimes. They didn't actively hunt people. They even mentioned from the earlier di- uh, ones that they didn't seem to really have that large of a di- digestive tract, uh, implying that they weren't designed to eat people, you know? And it's the idea of, wait, did, was our violent response what snapped them into this? At least that's what I got. The characters don't really think about that. They're more, you know, these monsters are everywhere, and even if they're not being destructive... Uh, but, you know, we don't have time to really think of that because suddenly a larger monster comes on. It's like a giant sea serpent at first, but it starts growing into legs, you know, going from like a tadpole to, you know, a frog, basically. And then it starts shifting and suddenly you realize, oh, it's Godzilla! Godzilla's finally in this movie! Um, and from there it just starts going like almost a Shin Godzilla route where, you know, Godzilla starts mutating outwards, uh, growing bigger and larger and more destructive. Uh, and all the while, this unfolding mystery of on, you know, the nature of these immensely powerful objects that could re- redefine physics as we know them, uh, the strange looping song that keeps playing throughout the entire series that they discover in the basement, um, the scientist and all these places he went to and discovered, and how he learned about a material that, according to everything we know, we shouldn't have been able to make unless we already knew how to make it. But then it becomes like a chicken and egg problem. You know, philosophical and scientific inquiries are made. Uh, ideas about, you know, the nature of existence and how we come to be, what makes us, what defines us. And if we were always meant to be that way or raised. It's a very, I, I kind of like it. I, I, I do. The que- some of the questions the show poses are genuinely fascinating. Um, they're kind of things I've thought about a few times. But, like, they're... They're set up in such a way that it's just kind of an interesting take on Godzilla. And you know what? I'm not entirely sure it works. Like, the ending's a bit underwhelming, in my opinion. It's not the best. I still feel weird the robot was the solution. It's, I don't really think that works. But, like, I'm not sure it works entirely. But, you know what? I do think the show itself is genuinely well-made. And even if the ending wasn't entirely for me... Like, the solution they gave, anyway, wasn't entirely, like, eh, I'm not sure that works. But the rest of the show is good enough, and the final finale was definitely a payoff. Uh, it has some good fight scenes when it wants to have them, and you know what? The monsters are really fun and interesting. They're nice takes on uh, old Godzilla uh, characters, and I think the show's worth seeing. So, yeah. Um... Anyway, before we get into, like, massive spoiler talks, because, again, what I've talked about is stuff The it's just, like, the general stuff that's going to happen in the show. I just wanted to do it. Most of this stuff is going to happen by, like, episode six, you know, about halfway through. Um, so before I actually go into the ending stuff, I'm going to talk about some of the other things. Uh, really good voice acting. The dub is really good. That's what I listen to, because I've listened to dub anime. I know all the other anime fans are saying sub forever, but I'm like, I like dub. 
Sorry, I like being able to listen to it in the background, not to pay full attention to it. Um, so I can work on other stuff while I'm watching it. Don't get me wrong, though, there were a few moments where I put down my stuff and I was like, oh, I have to just watch this, just absorb this. But, uh, the rest of the show, yeah, really good. Uh, it has this really good haunting score at times, especially with that re, re, uh, re, the song that keeps reappearing over and over again and turns out to have, like, embedded codes and stuff in it, and, uh, I really liked it. You know what? And the main characters are kind of fascinating, too. Uh, you have, like, these group of engineers that are all working together, and the, uh, they, they have this really cool scene in the first episode where he shows that he's, like, this very analytical person that can, like, uses factors to try and predict, you know, outcomes, and is really, really good at it by, like, saying, well, the, um, there's these, you know, weather phenomena that have been causing a decrease in local fishing populations, and so there's going to be a shortage in a few weeks. As a result, it's unlikely the restaurant we go to will be able to uh, serve us fish, because we always go in late, which means they're not only going to be out by the time we go there for lunch. So, we're going to be going to this other place, but... Because the fish is going to be a shortage of all, we'll probably have to eat something else. So I suggest we'll probably get this a week from now. And it was really interesting. And I'm like, oh, I like the logic he used. Because we it's not that we get proven right. We actually never see if he, if he was proven right by that. What happens is we get to see his thought process, the way he thinks about and takes in information and all these disparate factors and puts them together towards a conclusion. He even uses like various things while he's talking about this to figure out there's a hidden passage and find out where the song's coming from. Um, and it's really interesting. Like the, we basically get to see the way his mind works. It's almost like he and his friend are like, he's Sherlock Holmes and his friend is Watson, basically, you know, getting him to talk through his methodology. Uh, he also has, Yoon also has these conversations with May over like a text chat that has a really cool payoff later in the series because there are some time travel implications. But, uh, I like the way they describe the, the, you know, the, the, the thought process of their characters. They, like, even if the science is, like, definitely at one point in science, multiple points in the series, the science goes full on science fiction multiple times. But, like, there's some, you know, real world basis, if that makes sense, in string theory and stuff like that. But even when it's doing that, it's showing us the method behind the madness, if that makes sense. Uh, it's showing us how these characters came to these conclusions in the world they're in. So, yeah. All right, let's go into the spoiler talk. Um, okay, there's this really cool thing that happens with the series. And so, basically, they've been figured out, figured out about, like, episode, like, nine, that you figured out that the um, song had an code embedded inside the song because it was actually different from the original variation of the song, so the static inside the code w could be turn turned into a... I mean, status inside, static inside the, the song could be turned into a code. That code related to di various times, uh, dates, and times. And it was figured out that all of those dates and times were messages that were sent to him in his conversation with May... It was basically all of them were messages either sent to him or from him in his uh, chat with May over the last few weeks. And so it turns into a message from the future. But no, it gets even more meta than that. You see, when they start looping the song, it actually turns out that the code was additionally referencing various uh, pieces of data in his, like, they all right, both him and May have this AI and it's, they both grown their own personalities because they're basically adaptive AI for the future. Uh, they're both really cute, by the way. I, li I like them. They're fun. Um, but 
basically the code is sending back an update using the memory by referencing mem portions of the AI's memory. So when it was looped on end, it actually ended up updating him and rewriting him. But that's not the twist. See, the twist is that basically the machine they were using, this computer, uses the future to basically calculate things that we couldn't calculate. So what happens is it'll send in future and it'll do two outcomes. And the correct one will go. And then that one will send two outcomes and two outcomes and two outcomes. And then when all the, when the answer is finally done, it'll send it back to our time. So in our time, it's like a second has passed, but it's actually been doing calculations over what must seem like years. What was actually equivalent of years of calculations. Um, which is really fascinating from like a science fiction perspective. It's a really fun idea. And May's AI ends up having to calculate the solution to, the, you know, the end of the world. Godzilla was going to, like, cause a cascading reference. It's really complicated, but Godzilla is basically this connected fourth dimensional point uh, in addition to the computer itself that's going to cause the cataclysm that will end the universe. Um, it'll grow larger and larger and, like, eclipse and shatter the universe or something. So... They've run out of time. They have no more time to calculate, even the small amount of time it needs to do the branching paths. So the AI takes a task that had failed years ago that was still paused, loops back around to 60 years ago to the scientist that had started all this thing, and then feeds into the song, basically generates the song that they've been hearing this entire time, embedding it in a code that updates the AI, one of the two AI, it was born from, one of the two AI, because they're both created from the same program, but they developed their own personalities due to personal files and tastes and stuff like that. And that AI then updates the other AI, and that means the AI is sort of like their child, you know, mentally speaking, I guess, or from, uh, from a data perspective, and has the solution to help, you know, defeat Godzilla and save the world and destroy the point and undo all the damage. Um, basically by nullifying this fourth dimensional material that's been seeping into their world. And it's really interesting idea because it means that this entire thing is a giant time loop. And I love it. Oh, it, it's really fascinating. Although we still never figure out how the scientists figured out, like, where the first point come from came from. Like, is this a part of the time loop? Or, like, again, I'm not sure the ending entirely holds up together. It's satisfying, but I'm not sure it entirely holds up together from a matter perspective, because we still have... Because even if they loop back around to the 60 years ago experiment, the scientists had already found the point and used it to create the computer, so the point already existed. So if it was not supposed to exist until we learned the information to create it, how did it happen? Like... What was, what caused all this? Now, maybe they'll answer this all in like a season two or something like that. That would definitely be interesting. Uh, maybe it'll be some kind of prequel, you know? I don't know. But from a thematic perspective, I do think that the series was, you know, cathartic and had a nice satisfying ending. Um, and yeah, I think it was a fun series. Uh, definitely try and do things differently. And you know, that's always, that's always a good idea. Uh, no series should ever be in trouble for trying to do something different. If it, even if it doesn't work, you try out something new, and hey, occasionally you get really good series out of that kind of methodology. 
So, I would probably classify, give, like, if I was, like, grading Godzilla single point, I would probably give it, like, a B minus, maybe, maybe a B, maybe a solid B. Like, I'm not sure it's amazing, but it definitely holds up pretty well. I like it. It was fun. So, yeah. Okay, everybody. Well, that's been this week. Uh, I hope my ramblings didn't take too much out of you. <laughs> um, next week, what are we going to do? Hmm. You know what? Next week, I'll do The Labyrinth of Drakes, a memoir by Lady Trent. You know, the next one in the Natural History of Dragons series. You know, get the series back on track after Godzilla, back to dragons, where it belongs. Uh, and then after that, we'll see how it goes. I'll see what I have up running. I have a few things that I could review about that time. We'll talk about it then. All right. See you guys next time. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and thank you for listening to The Dragon's Library. Please, subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. The Dragon's Library releases new episodes Tuesday and Friday each week, and you can follow us on Twitter at dragon underscore library two. If you want to suggest an episode topic, my email is in the description below. As always, thank you so much for all your support.